Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome back to the All-American Brit Podcast on the Believe Podcasting Network. I am your host, Johnny McEwen. Today is Tuesday, February 23rd, and this week in sport, a big signing in the MLB and spring training game start this weekend, decisive results in the Premier League, and an update on football from across the pond, a couple of notes on the NBA. But first, the Genesis Invitational at the Riviera Country Club was held this weekend on the PGA Tour. Tiger Woods plays host to the Invitational. He was not playing due to just coming off of his fifth back surgery, but he would be there on Sunday to hand the trophy to the winner. But one of the more interesting stories from the week happened before play actually began. Tyler McCumber, ranked 295th in the World Golf Rankings, was in his hotel room on Tuesday before a practice round, and he went to open the window to cool off the room. But when he did, he sliced off half of the nail on his left index finger. He went and received some attention from the medical team at the PGA Tour, and one of the doctors on staff for the tour is a hand surgeon. And he gave McCumber two options. He said, well, one, you can just let it heal, bandage it up and not play. It's just too painful to play with half of a fingernail. Or two, you remove the whole nail from the bed, bandage it up and potentially go out and play. Tyler chose the latter, and just a few hours after emergency surgery on the finger, he was on the range hitting golf balls. He said the finger was numb, but he was able to make it work and not feel that much pain. McCumber did just that. He made it work, and he was contending early, finishing 7-under after 36 holes, tied for second on the tournament. He had to adapt his golf glove. He cut off the left index finger of his glove, and he had this great big bandage over his left finger. All the players on tour usually take their glove off when they putt, but Tyler had to make do with the glove on because he didn't want to keep interfering with the bandage. And To go from potentially not being able to play to in contention after two days was really quite something. He, he made the most of it. As did Sam Burns. After 36 holes, with all of his fingers intact, Sam Burns was at 12 under, and he ended up going into the weekend five strokes ahead of the field. So to the weekend, and a real change in the winds, quite literally. Play was delayed due to severe winds in the area, and it's quite rare for this to happen. The last time it happened was in 2015, when the US Open was being held just a bit further north, up at Pebble Beach. Gusts of 30 miles an hour forced officials to call play at about 10am. There's a shot of Keegan Bradley. He started early on Saturday morning on the fourth hole, and his ball started breaking, and it had the wind behind it as it was on the putting green, and it just suddenly picked up out of nowhere. This gust just brings it and rolls the ball 60 feet off of the green. Unplayable, the course was, which was a shame because the course was actually in incredible condition, playing like a major championship course, and really firm, fast greens. The rough wasn't thick, but the ball just clings to it. The Riviera is famous for having this kakuya grass that's so difficult to deal with. A four-hour delay 
guys camped out on the driving range. They ordered a ton of pizzas down to there, and the guys taking naps, using their golf bags as pillows. Ram and Spieth were teeing up golf balls really, really high and launching them directly into the air, and the wind was blowing so hard that the, the balls came back and acted like a, a boomerang heading back toward them on the range. Play did end up resuming on Saturday later in the afternoon, and there were a couple groups that were left out there by about 5.45 that would have to finish early Sunday morning. Burns's 12-under ended up dropping to 9-under when he finished his third round on Sunday morning. Two-shot lead over the field, but he'd have a tough test. He was paired up with Matt Fitzpatrick, Dustin Johnson, the current number one in the world. All eyes were really on this final pairing. The narrative of the tournament was about whether or not somebody could come and sneak up and grab it, or if Burns would be the first person to go wire to wire, holding the tournament all four days for the first time since 1969 at Riviera. And Burns looked really solid, with a two-shot lead for most of his first holes in the, in the front nine, and then on nine, he had a great birdie, 13 under now, par 10th, and then had a wayward drive on 11th, and then 12, and then it started to look a bit dicey. Around the 15th is when the collapse kind of came. Tee shot into a bunker, made the inevitable bogey. Meanwhile, up ahead, Tony Fina had made birdie on 16 and 17, and he was having an incredible Sunday round, 7 under on the day. Ended up finishing the round at 12 under. Max Homer was also in contention for the lead, hovering around at second most of the day and had a chance to go to 13 under on the 18th green with a birdie chance. Hit a perfect drive and a tight little shot into the 18th green. Three feet, four inches left to go to 13 under. Burns behind him would be forced to make a practically impossible shot. The tournament could have been his. Homer stood over this three-foot putt. Tiger Woods standing up on the putting green up above, looking down on him. And Homer reached back and missed it. It's a late drama. It would be a playoff between Tony, Finau, and Max Homer. The playoff starts on the 10th hole, which has been a highlight all week. This short par four can be absolutely brutal or just offer up a birdie with ease. Finau's tee shot skipped over some dangerous rough and landed in the perfect spot. He certainly had the advantage from the tee-off, but Homer's just stayed too straight and ended up nestling right near a tree, snookered, as Nick Faldo on the CBS commentary team said. And once he approached it, there was a tiny window of opportunity, but the ball was maybe half an inch off of where this tree was. A really, really tight, closed-face shot would be the key. You'd hit 100 balls from there, Maybe half of the time you end up hitting the tree and flubbing the shot. Maybe one or two would have ended up where Homer's did. He hit the perfect little shot to get him up to a chance for birdie. He missed the putt but makes his par. Finau had a makeable putt for birdie, but it just slipped away from him. They have to go to the 14th. Finau up again, hits his ball into the bunker, and then Homer goes aggressive and goes for the flag. Finau gets out of the bunker and has a really slippery putt for par. Homer just misses his birdie, makes his par. So now it's about Finau forcing the par putt to make sure that they go and play another playoff hole. Slippery little putt that just gets away from him. Max Homer, the LA kid, ends up winning at the Riviera. Homer grew up just 30 miles away, and he remembers coming out to watch the event as a kid. Two years old was the first time that Homer walked the grounds of the course. He didn't walk it, he, he was on his father's shoulders, as he recalled, but 
it was a really poignant moment for the LA kid to have this, his second championship on the PGA Tour. Take a listen to Max Homer right after he claimed victory on the 14th green. I've been watching this tournament my whole life, why I fell in love with golf. Wow, I didn't think I'd be like this. Uh, Tiger, another reason I'm into golf. Um, had good feelings this week. Been playing great. City of Champions, you know, Dodgers, Lakers, me now, so it's a weird feeling. Max was clearly emotional after the victory. Hometown win for him. He tweeted out later that day, I spent a decade trying to get a high five from Tiger Woods on the course at Riviera. Today, he handed me a trophy. An amazing moment for Max, becoming a champion in his own city. 30 years young, Homer, now his second win on the PGA Tour, and this could be a real launch off for him. This tournament couldn't mean more to him and a huge notch in his belt that could just propel him. Riviera played like a major championship course this week. And in 2023, the US Open will be held at the Los Angeles Country Club, about eight miles away from the Riviera. And maybe the hometown boy could get a major in his home city. That'll be an interesting storyline then for sure. But he'll have to defend his title again next year at the 2022 Genesis at the Riviera. 2023 is looking a bit far ahead. Torrey Pines, just two hours south of Los Angeles and San Diego, will be the host this summer. The 2021 US Open. The West Coast swing of this early PGA Tour season now complete. The tour heads to Florida. The concession golf course will host the WGC this week. Beautiful Jack Nicklaus design course. Great field. Should be a really good one this weekend. And the season really kicks off when the tour heads to TPC Sawgrass, the Players' Championship, on March 9th. To the Premier League now, and there was an absolute stunner on Saturday at Anfield. The Merseyside derby is always circled on the schedule, and what a game for Everton fans against Liverpool. This is a rivalry that has favoured Liverpool for many, many years. But for the first time since 1999, Everton left Anfield with three points over Liverpool. 23 matchups at Liverpool's home and finally a win. The defending champions, Liverpool, have been on a tough stretch that now enters the category of historic. Saturday was their fourth straight league loss at home. For the, that's the first time that's happened since 1923. Richarlison put one in the back of the net early, third minute of the game. Amazing pass from James Rodriguez, slipping it through for the Brazilian, and Richarlison just cuts through and scored. And Liverpool had a few chances, but Jordan Pickford, Everton's goalkeeper, was in the right places against all of the attacks. He earned man of the match, the England keeper. 80-odd minutes in, Alexander-Arnold gave up a really silly penalty, to be honest, and Sigurdsson rolled it past Allison, making it 2-0. Two weeks ago, Jurgen Klopp was being asked questions as to whether or not he could guide Liverpool to defending the title. And he quite frankly said that it's just not going to be possible. And now he's facing questions as to whether or not they're going to be able to sustain enough points to remain in the top four and be able to qualify for the Champions League next season. They've just been completely hamstrung by injury after injury. They sign a centre-back, he immediately comes down. They put a midfielder, Jordan Henderson, into the centre-back and it just completely changed the shape of the way their midfield played. Their forwards, Mane, Salah, Firmino, not performing, not scoring. Been a tough stretch for Liverpool. And I really, the only way I see this getting better is if players really come into form or if players just come back to health. 
They need to get some of their pieces back to be performing in the way that they used to and in the shapes that they used to. Could mean questions for Klopp. Big questions at Liverpool as the season stretches forward. But Man City defeated Arsenal on Sunday 1-0. Only one minute and 17 seconds into the game came the goal. Across from Riyad Mahrez to the head of Raheem Sterling, Man City are now undefeated in 18 matches in a row in all competitions. City are looking like the presumptive champions of the Premier League at this point, 10 points ahead of both Manchester United and Leicester City. The fight for those three other positions in the top four, that's what's really left to play for in the Premier League. Liverpool sitting in sixth, Chelsea in fifth. They were able to get a draw against Southampton. They had quite a few chances and maybe saw it as a missed opportunity, but 33 minutes in, the newest addition for the Saints, Minamino, on loan from Liverpool, fooled everyone in the box. He put Aspilicueta and Mendy on their backs with a duke. They were just helpless to try and defend against the really strong finish from Minamino. And then a penalty in the second half. Danny Ings put a tackle on Mason Mount in the penalty area. He didn't catch any of the ball. Mount went down. Perfect spot was the referee to see and give the foul. Mount took the penalty himself, put it past McCarthy and brought it level at 1-1. Tammy Abraham was taken off at the start of the second half and replaced by Callan Hudson-Odoi. But Odoi didn't finish the game, being subbed off in the 75th minute. It's unusual for a substitute to be subbed off, but Tuchel made it clear in the press conference that it wasn't about injury, but about form. Take a listen to this. Tommy could not uh, could not put his uh, stamp in this game, so we changed a little bit the formation. We brought in Hudson, but with Hudson, I was not happy with uh, with the energy and and uh, with the attitude and counter pressing. So uh, we decided to take him off again because we demand a lot and we demand uh, 100%. And I had the feeling that he is not right in this in this shape where he can help us. So uh, it's, it's the decision for today. It's a hard decision, I know, for the players to come on and off. But tomorrow, latest tomorrow, is forgotten. And he has uh, all possibilities to start again against Atletico. I hope that Tuchel is right and that this all gets shaken off tomorrow. And, you know, Callum could start the game today against Atletico. But this could stifle the young player to question his ability to adjust and to adapt in a game and to sub him on and sub him back off. Hopefully, Hudson-Odoi just takes the most of his minutes and uses the opportunities that he's given to prove to Tuchel that he can play in the formation that he wants him to. Leg one of the Champions League for Chelsea in the round of 16 against Atletico Madrid later today. couple of quick notes on the NBA. I talked about the Brooklyn Nets a couple weeks ago and how they'd need to shift their style of play. And their defense has slightly improved, which was one of my big points about it. But moreover, the team itself is just clicking in a way that they hadn't before. The Nets have been on this West Coast trip and it couldn't have gone much better for the ball club from Brooklyn. The Nets suffered a surprise loss to the Detroit Pistons on February the 9th, but have since been undefeated. The Pacers, the Warriors, the Kings, the Suns, the Clippers, and defending champs, Lakers, have all lost to this Brooklyn team without the assistance, for the most part, of Kevin Durant. Harden and Irvin have led this six-game win streak across the West and hope to continue it as they play tonight against the Kings. The Lakers are really desperately missing Anthony Davis in a big way. 
They lost a tight one to Miami, the team they faced in last year's finals. The Nets also took one against them at home. Davis could be back in about a month's time, but that could be a long stretch for LeBron and the Lakers to have to claw through without a key part of their lineup. Lakers lost a tough one last night in overtime. They had led the game by as many as 22 points, but still were defeated by the Wizards. And now to the world of baseball. Spring training has begun. All of the players have now reported to camp, and the first games of spring training will take place this Sunday in Arizona and Florida, respectively. Always an exciting time for teams to get a good sense of their rosters, how their teams are going to shape up for this next year. And by far, the biggest news in baseball is that of Fernando Tatis Jr. They're continuing to make big news down in San Diego. Tatis inked a 14-year, $340 million contract. It's the longest contract in baseball history at 14 years. Tatis is 22 right now, and considering there's a no-trade clause in the contract, the Padres have committed to Tatis until he's 36. I congratulate Tatis on this record-breaking contract. I congratulate Padre fans. It's, it's one of the most exciting young talents in the league for years to come, and he's guaranteeing himself wearing a Padre uniform for what should be the entirety of his career. If you don't have one already, you should go out and buy a Tatis jersey. I don't think you're going to have to worry about the expiration date on that one. Ultimately, I, I really like this move, and I like the club showing commitment to a bona fide talent and making sure that if he's going to make history, it's with your club. Tatis and the president of baseball operations, AJ Preller, gave a press conference on Monday, and Tatis spoke eloquently about wanting to sign a contract that would keep him at a team for his whole career. He referred to it as the statue contract, a contract that could one day lead to a statue outside of Petco Park celebrating Tatis as a San Diego legend. Big hopes for the future with this signing. And I think that the show of loyalty on the team's part is something that's needed in the game in recent history. There are so many big names that come and go in this league, but Tatis recognizes the significance of making a career with one team, being a real lifer. Long term, I think this signing actually has tons of upside, even into the later years of the contract. But I do have some worries about how this could play out in the immediate future. Tatis is a fiery 22-year-old, and he's shown that potentially he has the talent to be the, the best in the game. And I hope he maintains that fire. There's an intangible effect that can a, a player can go through in that contract year that forces them to play well, or they might have to financially suffer some consequences. If the next 14 years are anything like the last 14 in San Diego, I hope that Tatis can kind of keep that fire burning just based on that pure desire to win. The Padres are all in this year. And at current, they have a great group of players. Eric Hosmer, Will Myers, Manny Machado, 31, 30, and 28 respectively. Machado's agreed to a 10-year contract with San Diego, and he'll be alongside Tatis Jr. for, for years to come. But Hosmer and Myers have an opt-out in the next two years. You hope that these pieces stay and they stay committed to the next team for the next three, four years. And Tartis's contract will keep them you know, relevant and, and Tartis has got all this fight in him. But four, five years down the line, you've still got another 10, nine years of Tartis's contract. But you're still going to have all of the pieces that you need around him to create a true winner. 
the Padres are all in right now. Snell and Darvish being signed in the offseason. Machado's there for a long time. Tatis is there for a long time. But in five years, when Tatis is still as all in as he is with his fight and his fire, will the team be in a position to be all in? The contract's nature has made a huge splash around the league. Probably more agents and players delight in it than owners and GMs. Tatis has only played 142 Major League Baseball games, shortened season in 2020 and a small sample size from 2019. And Tatis has done amazing things in those games. But that's not even a single Major League season's worth of games, 162. The Padres have now set a precedent that a young talent, regardless of the amount of experience, can show their worth this quick. And for Tatis, that's 340 million over 14 years. I hope we don't see the and I, and I hate to even phrase it as this, but the Trout effect. Mike Trout's only been to the playoff once, and he's committed to Anaheim for the entirety of his career. No trade clause in his contract. Tatis is looking down at a 14-year contract, a career commitment to one team, and I hope that the team can continue to push and provide for this incredible talent. Committing to this young talent really can't be that much of a mistake. The structure of the deal could affect his psyche, and it could affect fan psyche alike, but Tatis deserves nothing but respect, and I think he proved that today in his press conference, that he's committed to winning and committed to being here, committed to being a one-club player. Padres are now the only show in town, with the Chargers moving out, and it's, it's all about the Padres in San Diego. That's the big show, and now it's the Tatis show. Baseball starts up again this weekend, and it's going to be all about baseball on the next couple of weeks here on the All-American Brit Podcast. Jake Reiner will rejoin the podcast for the next two weeks, and we're going to be going team by team, talking about the keys for success for every team this season in baseball. So be sure to join us next week. We're going to be talking about all of the teams in the National League. And then the following week, we're going to be talking about the American League teams, getting you informed for the season ahead and get a real sense of the league as a whole. We're also going to be making our predictions on each division. So be sure to listen out for that. For the All-American Brit Podcast on the Believe Podcasting Network, I am your host, Johnny McEwen. Be sure to follow me at AABritPod on Instagram and Twitter. Until next time, take care. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. 